Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Friday, January 5th, day 91 to the war with Hamas. Amanda Borchel Dan here with our military reporter, Emmanuel Fabian. Hi, Manny, and an early Shabbat Shalom. Hi, Amanda. We're going to start with an IDF committee to investigate IDF failures and updates on the hostages still ahead in Gaza as the number officially rose last night. We'll hear what Defense Minister Yoav Gallant told U.S. officials regarding hostilities in the north. We'll talk about the destruction of the tunnel complex under the Shifa hospital and allegations of Hamas using child soldiers. All this and much more when we're back. Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachuk's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis, so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachek Law Team strongly supports Israel. You can reach the Sarachek Team at www.sarachecklawfirm.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-E-K lawfirm.com or at 646-403-9775. The proceeding is an attorney advertisement and past results are no guarantee of future performance. The IDF announced last night that it had initiated a committee to look into the IDF's failures leading up to October 7th. So, Manny, what do we know about its purview and who is on it? So this um, committee or investigatory team uh, is is relatively limited in its scope. We're talking about uh, something that the army has initiated uh, using... Um, former uh, defense officials who will be on this team uh, and they will be investigating um, the army itself, uh, what happened on October 7th and what led up to it, but really only focusing on the actions of the IDF. It will not look into uh, political policies or any of the political leadership, won't touch any of that. As far as I'm being made aware, this is uh, really only to draw uh, operational conclusions for the army amid the fighting. The army obviously wants to n- sort of know what went wrong, um, and it is this is important lessons that it can learn now uh, as things are heating up in other areas, uh, in the north especially. Um, and it will look into uh, essentially what went wrong. As far as we know, um, several people are already being named uh, for this team. We're talking about former IDF Chief of Staff Shaul Mufaz, uh, the former Chief of Intelligence uh, Ron Zevi Farkash, uh, the former Southern Command uh, um, Chief Sami Turjaman, and the former Operations Director Chief uh, Yoav Har Evan. And each of them will essentially be investigating uh, a different part of what led up to October 7th. So the former Chief of Staff will look into the, the General Staff, uh, Zevi Farkash will investigate the IDF's intelligence, Turjaman the, the defences on the Gaza border in, in the Southern Command, and Haravan will look into the sort of general operational aspects uh, of October 7th. 
This is a bit of a change of tack, isn't it? Because every time we've asked the army for a statement about something, it has said, we'll investigate this after the war, after the war. And now all of a sudden we have this investigation going on during the war, which we are also being told will go on for a very long time. So why do you think it is being seeded now? Well, two things. One, the army has didn't explicitly say after the war. They said when we have, uh, I quote, the operational possibility, uh, which means something along the lines of when we're not too busy with the fighting, we'll be able to deal with it. Um, why I think this is being carried out, two, two reasons. One, we're seeing a shift in the fighting uh, in the Gaza Strip. We're seeing already in northern Gaza that much of Hamas has been defeated there and the army is shifting into a lower gear. Uh, and smaller operations there. Um, and also, it's, it's been 90 days since the war began. The army is uh, now really looking to get some answers as to what went wrong. Uh, but it is important to make this dis- distinction that this is just an operational investigation for the army itself. It is has nothing to do with um, policies of the government. And yet, there was some blowback from the government, correct? Correct. So there was a, uh, shortly after this um, uh, team was sort of announced, there was a cabinet meeting, a security cabinet meeting. And during this meeting, several right-wing lawmakers, including uh, Itamar Bengvir and, and Basala Smotrich and Transportation Minister Miri Regev, uh, all confronted uh, the IDF chief of staff, uh, Herzi Halevi, uh, over this, over launching this, um, this probe. They especially um, were angered by the inclusion of Mofaz, who was involved in the 2005 withdrawal from Gaza. But I think there's a, sort of a, a misunderstanding that the ministers were thinking that this is some sort of national commission of inquiry rather than an internal IDF probe for its own purposes. Uh, but there was a lot of anger, and this this cabinet meeting uh, reportedly ended abruptly with this uh, heated argument over. Um, the army beginning to investigate amid the war, uh, with these ministers demanding to know why it had launched uh, this probe. Also last night, three Israelis who had been declared missing since October 7th were confirmed by the IDF to be held hostage by Hamas in the Gaza Strip. So that brings the number up to 136, which includes the bodies of fallen IDF soldiers Oron, Shaul, and Hadar Golden, who have been, uh, their bodies are held since 2014, as well as two Israeli civilians who also in 2014 and 2015 made their own way into the strip. So what do we know about the three who were named last night? The three hostages were identified by their families as uh, Hanan Yablonka, uh, Idan Shtivi, and Ilan Weiss. Ilan Weiss uh, has confer- already confirmed to, be, uh, to have been killed on October 7th. We learned this uh, a week ago, but it is now uh, confirmed that his body was actually taken to Gaza and is being held there. Weiss was uh, believed to have been killed um, fighting with the Kibbutzberry security team uh, while trying to ward off the terrorist assault. Uh, His wife and daughter were also uh, taken hostage by Hamas, but uh, later released in a deal in November. Uh, Yablonka and Shtivi were both um, abducted by Hamas at the uh, Supernova Music Festival near Reim, and it has been uh, 90 days where the families had no information as to their fates. They were not, it was unknown whether or not they were killed or taken hostage uh, or where they had gone to after the attack. And the army has now uh, confirmed that 
they are being held in Gaza. And like you mentioned, this brings to 136 total, 132 who were taken hostage on October 7th. And we know that not all of them, including Weiss, are, are alive. We also heard an update about Sahar Baruch, who was declared dead in December. And we know that he was uh, apparently murdered during a rescue attempt. Tell us more about this. So uh, in December, the army reported a uh, an attempted rescue of a hostage in Gaza. Um, they said that two soldiers were seriously wounded in this attempt. Um, and then at the, the same day, Hamas claimed that uh, Sar Baruch, who was kidnapped from uh, Be'eri, uh, that he was killed during this rescue attempt. Uh, the army at, at the time could not link the events together. They did confirm that Baruch was killed uh, in Gaza. They confirmed his death, but uh, did not say whether or not it was related to the hostage rescue. Now, um, a month later, the army has notified the family of Baruch that Indeed, he was killed during this uh, hostage rescue uh, attempt, a failed attempt. But even at this stage, it is unknown uh, how he was killed or whether he was killed by Hamas or by Israeli fire. Also, it is unknown at what stage during the rescue attempt. Uh, The rescue attempt lasted several hours, we'll put it like that. Um, It's not clear uh, where exactly or when exactly this happened, but it was during uh, this rescue attempt. Uh, his body uh, still remains held by Hamas. And to finish out this very, very uh, grim part of our conversation, since the ground operation began in late October, of the 175 fallen soldiers, 29 were killed by so-called friendly fire and other accidents. So that is a rise from the previous figures that we had, but not a sharp rise, if I'm not mistaken. No, not not a particularly sharp rise. On average, we're seeing about two to six soldiers per week being killed in in incidents of friendly fire or accidents, as data from the army. Some weeks it's two, some three, some four. Uh, there isn't really a a trend here. It's uh, it's not rising significantly. It's not going down either too much. But we are still seeing uh, incidents of friendly fire. We know that eighteen. Uh, of those uh, soldiers were killed by mis- by friendly fire due to mistaken identification. That's including in airstrikes and tank shelling and gunfire. Two soldiers were hit by gunfire that was not intended to hit them. So not due to a misidentification, but was still uh, shot. And then we know that the other nine soldiers were killed in various accidents. That includes uh, accidental weapon discharges, uh, being run over by armored vehicles, being hit by shrapnel in controlled demolitions. Uh, and other um, uh, accidents that that have occurred during the fighting. Friendly fire, of course, takes place during peacetimes as well, this kind of accidental firing and other accidents. So in terms of percentage-wise, do you know if we're very sharply above other years? Not particularly. Um, We know that there have been cases of friendly fire in the army, some of them in recent years as well. Uh, And during wars... Friendly fire is, is even more uh, common because of uh, talking about a, a large number of forces condensed in one small area, communication issues, soldiers being exhausted, not paying attention to regulations. The army is doing a lot to prevent this and is and really trying to avoid cases of friendly fire. But it is uh, it is something that 
that does happen in war um and and war is chaotic and complicated and uh, it's it's not completely avoidable but uh, the army is doing a lot to to prevent it we'll go to a short break The world we live in isn't perfect, but it doesn't get better on its own. That's where the work of activists comes in. Whether it's environmental justice, animal rights, or disability advocacy, there are people all around the world striving to make it a better place. That's where All About Change comes in. Host Jay Ruderman talks with activists about how they do what they do and what inspires them to keep going. Because activism is all about change. Listen to All About Change wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. We heard this week that the tunnel complex under the, shall we say, notorious Shifa Hospital was exploded. Tell us more about the complex and how, if you can, it was exploded. The IDF uh, recently detonated this uh, tunnel network that was found under Shifa Hospital. Um, I would say it was smaller than the uh, military initially uh, assessed it to be. Uh, Originally, the army had um, claimed that there was a very large, expansive Hamas command center underneath uh, Shifa Hospital. But uh, in the end, we're talking about a tunnel network of around 250 meters in length. Uh, It has several rooms beneath it. And um, still, there's uh, intelligence that has indicated that Hamas did use this tunnel network for command and control, for holding hostages uh, on uh, on October 7th and the days following it. so the army did destroy these branches that were found in the area. The buildings above it, the hospital buildings, were not damaged uh, in the controlled blast that the army carried out. Um, and it also released uh, this video, and I recommend uh, going on the site and watching it. It's a 360-degree video where you can move around the camera and actually explore this uh, tunnel network yourself to just see how uh, large it is. Um, although it is maybe a little bit smaller than they thought it would be. However, there's other tunnels that they found in Gaza, larger ones as well. Um, Yesterday, there was a a tunnel they revealed on the coast of Gaza, um, which was uh, also hundreds of meters in length, but it also included uh, an underground rockets manufacturing lab uh, in this uh, tunnel network, and that was also uh, destroyed. Just the sheer capacity to build a tunnel network next to the sea is such a feat of engineering, it kind of boggles the mind because to keep the seawater at bay, you have to, of course, have, I don't even know what you need, but it's just, again, it cements the fact that so much money, resources, time, and really creativity even has been expended on these tunnels. It really is very uh, impressive, the uh, engineering that has gone into these tunnels and there's really uh, hundreds of, of meters, perhaps even hundreds of kilometers worth of these tunnels throughout the whole Gaza Strip. The army is really focused now on demolishing the um, the main tunnels, the strategic tunnels as they call them. There are many tunnels that are sort of attack tunnels that are used to by Hamas to attack Israeli forces, but then there's the strategic ones that include um, the command centers, the underground weapons manufacturing plants, where the senior Hamas officials are hiding. Um, there was the one that I was able to see in uh, Gaza City's main square. That was also a very large tunnel network used by all the senior Hamas officials. And that is mainly what the army is focused on now. There are 
uh, tunnel networks in Khan Yunis, which are very impressive as well, that the army is still working on and have been working on for several weeks now. We've talked about this and we've reported that, um, I mean, officials is, are saying that the army is operating both above and below ground in Khan Yunis. And I, I presume that later on, the army will reveal these these tunnels to the public and, and show them uh, just how uh, impressive they are. The other headline that caught my eye in terms of just complete lack of uh, human sensibilities is, of course, the fact that the IDF is alleging that Hamas is using child soldiers basically to deliver explosive devices and to assess the damage on battlefields. It kind of sounds like that latter case is what our IDF Okits unit does, the dog unit. And, and that just is such a tragedy in a way. Yeah, the army has uh, released some footage that it recovered from Gaza. Um, the footage is not um, really anything new that we've seen. Um, we've seen Hamas run these summer camps where they train young children um, to fire weapons and use tunnel networks. Um, the army alleges that this is all part of training, early training for, for them to join the the military wings of Hamas and Islamic Jihad, um, both terror groups openly run and promote these summer camps. It's, it's no secret, but the army is now saying um, that during the fighting in, in Gaza now, that they've identified a large number of miners who are active in both terror groups. Um, and they've, they've said that Hamas has used children to uh, deliver ammunition to uh, to operatives in different areas of Gaza by using a child, uh, it seems more innocent and, and they would be not targeted by the army. Um, and like you mentioned, they've been sending uh, children, according to the army, uh, to assess damage after certain attacks and then report it back to um, Hamas who are hiding underground. Um, and it is really very, very tragic. Let's turn to the north. Defense Minister Yoav Gallant told U.S. Special Envoy to the region Amos Hochstein that there is, quote, a short window of time for diplomatic understandings to be reached with Hezbollah, even as the Lebanese terror group continue to carry out daily attacks on northern Israel. And of course, the IDF is responding in, in kind. What do you think about this? Is this another one of those I don't know, bluffs, or do you think this is the moment of truth? I think it's very difficult to um, to figure out where exactly we're heading to in, in the north. It could go really either way. I think Israel would definitely prefer uh, a diplomatic uh, sort of understanding or agreement here with Hezbollah for them to essentially back off from the border uh, and you know, stop their daily attacks on northern Israel. Uh, but at the same time, I think in the army, um, they don't see this as likely as happening and they are preparing uh, for um, sort of sort of a potential escalation or further escalation in the north. We know that the, the army's deployed a lot of his, a lot of forces to the north. Um, the um, really many, many reservist units have been deployed to northern Israel because of the fear that this would um, expand further into a, a a much more a much bigger fight. This deployment was after October seventh, though. There's no new deployment, or is there a new deployment? No. After October seventh, the army uh, deployed a lot of Israeli forces to northern Israel, fearing that 
that Hezbollah would, would carry out attacks, and it, and it has been carrying out attacks. Um, but there's a few things now that may may push the fighting in the north even further. We're talking about the as- alleged assassination of Hamas's deputy political chief, uh, Salah Khalaroui, who was killed in Beirut. Um, and Hezbollah has vowed to respond, um, although w- they are already carrying out daily attacks. So if they were to respond, they would have to make it would have to be something more significant than their daily rocket and missile and drone attacks. And that is really what the, the biggest fear is now. And, and with Gallant saying that there's a very small window, um, I think he's also alluding to that um, because um, there, there will eventually be a time where Israel um, cannot um, sort of tolerate Hezbollah on the border anymore. Uh, it will eventually reach that because... Um, for 90 or just under 90 days, Hezbollah has been carrying out daily attacks, at least 10 attacks per day, um, resulting in deaths and injuries. There's 80,000 residents of northern Israel who have been evacuated, who cannot return to their homes. Um, and there needs to be a solution for this. Um, Israel does hope for a diplomatic understanding. The army obviously doesn't want to fight in the northern Israel. It's focused on Hamas and Gaza. Um, so it is a big, uh, a big dilemma now, f- now uh, facing Israel. I keep wondering as we speak about this over the past almost three months, where is the power balance? Meaning, who is the one? Which side is the one that's going to actually decide to step it up? It sounds like both sides don't really want to, but kind of have to retaliate every single time. So I just, it's very confusing to me here. I think Israel has been very restrained in its response. I, I, I know that it does, it does sound like criticism, but not really. There's, uh, there has been significant attacks against Hezbollah. But if this was, uh, if we weren't talking about October 7th, if there was no attack from Gaza and we saw these sort of attacks from, by Hezbollah from Lebanon, there would be an all-out war in Lebanon. The IDF would be reaching Beirut at this point. There's no question about that. There's no way that Hezbollah would be able to carry out uh, more than a thousand uh, attacks on northern Israel and get away with it with IDF striking their positions in southern Lebanon and a few local commanders here and there. Uh, so there has been some some sort of restraint from the army because it's so focused on Gaza. Um, Hezbollah, we know that they are trying to show Hamas that they're being supportive um, by launching these attacks. Hassan Nasrallah has talked about this before, that they're supporting Gaza with their attacks. Uh, and I think they're not not interested in all that war themselves. But now with the uh, with the assassination assassination of of Al Arouri, um, this may cause Hezbollah to carry out something bigger, and then that would force Israel to respond. But right now, I don't think Israel will be the one to to up it up. Okay, Manny, thanks so much for all of these updates. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Please check out another installment tomorrow. This episode was produced by the Podwaves. If you have a comment about this or any other episode, please drop us an email to podcast at timesofisrael.com. Until tomorrow, shalom. <laughs>